everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And with us today, we have special guest, author Amy Andrews. Yay! <laughs> We're so excited. All the way from Australia. Well, our, our first Australian <laughs> author. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. Give us, thank you. tell us, tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I did sort of come on and I did sort of contact you guys and go, oh my God, I've been watching your podcast and I love it. Can I please come on? So thank you for indulging me. Um, we so might have like fangirl screamed like, oh my gosh, somebody, somebody wants to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> harassing other people. <laughs> Well, the fabulous Claire Connolly actually put me on to you. She's like, "Have you heard of the? Have you heard of these guys?" And I was like, "No." And I like went over, and then I was like, you know, literally listened to everything you had out at that point in time. I think you know, all day I just listened to it all day. It was amazing. So so exciting to find people who like love category romance, you know, as much as other people who love category romance, because it seems sometimes like you're mm-hmm. it's you against the world. But um, it's so exciting. Yeah. So me, so I'm Amy Andrews. I live in Australia. It's currently nine o'clock in the morning here, and I know it's night time where you guys are. We're, I'm in the future. <laughs> I'm, I'm like in in the future for you guys. Um, I've written eighty something books. I've lost a little bit of count over the last fifteen, sixteen years. About forty three, I guess, ish of those are for um, Harlequin Mills and Boone, and. I've also written for a couple of other digital publishers, Entangled Publishing and Tully Publishing, also Category Romance, also some single titles, a um, bit of a mixed bag, but always sort of contemporary, pretty much always contemporary romance. Uh, I've been doing it since I've published since 2000 and, or 2005, my first book came out. I got a call in 2004. Yeah. That's a lot of books since 2004 right? or five. That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. That's why when people talk to me about books, I'm a bit nervous that you're gonna you're gonna mention books that I'm I'm gonna go. You're gonna talk to me about a book. I often run into people, you know, at, at conferences and stuff. They they say I love blah blah the hero in such and such a book, and I'm like, aha, uh-huh, keep talking because I can't quite <laughs> I can't quite remember which book that is. <laughs> it's a lot of books. <laughs> Sarah, do you want to kick us off with icebreaker questions? Absolutely. What is the one, what is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Okay. So I had to think about this. Um, there's two, if you can indulge me. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, one of the best um, categories I ever read was by a New Zealand author, Fiona Brand. She doesn't write, I think she wrote for Presents again for a little while, but she sort of was in and out. Um, and it's called Cullen's Bride. And it was actually for Silhouette. Um, and it's um, I sit around a, a SEAL team um, and there's like a few others in the series as well. But um, it's so good. I, I don't, I'm not much of a rereader, but I often reread it because the sexual tension in that book is amazing. So I always, I, it is like reading for the first time every time because it's incredible. And then the next book, and that's this is the book that made me um, – was one of my kind of light bulb moments. I knew that I wanted to write like that when I read this book and it completely opened my eyes because prior to this I'd only ever really been reading um, English sort of Harlequin Mills and Boone category romance and then somebody put me on to Getting Rid of Bradley by Jennifer Cruzy. Oh, great book. And it blew my brain. I was like, you can write like 
this. Canterbury romance can be like this because it's funny and, you know, sarky and I just, uh, and then I'm like, you know, I'm Jennifer Cruz's hugest fan. I've got all the books that have all been signed. Um, so that was a book I think that made me realise the kind of author that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love that. Okay. So what was the Fiona, the Fiona Brandt title? Again. Uh, it's called Cullen's Bride. Cullen's Bride. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like, I think there's like marrying, sorry. I think there's also um, marrying McCabe is also good. It's in that, it's in that same series. If you, if you Googled it anyway. Um, okay. Yeah. Really, really Really good. Really great tension. Um, what is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? Okay, I think I put this on my um, Instagram page the other day. I love, love, love Only One Bed. It is <laughs> I just, it's like, it's usually it's usually kind of combined with, you know, forced proximity. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that. It's like, ooh, Only One Bed, what do we do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> do we sleep on the floor? One sleep on the bed. Does a guy take the bed? Does a guy take the floor? Do you sleep on the couch? Do we build a big blanket fort between us? So um, you know, does one sleep on top of the covers? Not. And there's that thing where they, you know, they desperately want to touch each other, but they don't, and they can't. And, oh my god, I love that so much. <laughs> I do. Oh. I feel like you don't see it a lot. No, like, I don't read a lot of historicals, right? I feel like it's a definitely like an historical thing. But when I see it periodically in a contemporary, I'm mm-hmm. like. Oh, this is so good. I think I've only written one myself. So, you know, you think I would have written more considering I love it so much. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's also that thing it can be, I think it has to be done kind of well because it can be a bit sort of, oh, no, here we go. Here's another, oh, there's only one bed, but all we do. But yeah. when it's done well, it's just so delicious. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I also really like Fish Out of Water. I really like, mm. you know, throwing people into the deep end somewhere and yeah. sort of um, seeing how they sink or swim. Uh, ebook, audiobook, physical book. What is your preferred reading method? Well, I actually read mostly ebook now, to be honest. Um, if there's, you know, books, an ebook that I've read that I love, I'll usually buy the print copy just to have yeah. on my shelf sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think particularly as one gets older and one's eyes get older. I don't wear glasses yet, uh, but I find it's much easier to read. I do all my reading of a night time, um, usually like at midnight before I go to bed. I'm like I always, a couple of years ago, I wasn't reading enough, but I made myself a New Year's Eve resolution that I would read every night before I went to bed, even if it was just for 10 minutes. So, um, and it's much easier when the lights are out and I'm only got a bedside lamp to be able to adjust the light on the back to make it brighter or duller or, you know, and put the font up a little bit. I really think it's amazing for, um, for you know, older eyes uh, having, mm-hmm. a you know, some kind of a device. I can't read on my phone because it's too small. I have an um, yeah. iPad, an iPad mini, so I have the Kindle app for that. So I so I read on that. And I love audiobooks. I read I, – I found audiobooks about, I don't know, five years ago. My best friend – was nagging me and having for years to read um, the Outlander series of books. Oh, gosh, and- Sarah. <laughs> Sarah swears by that series That's what on audio. That's audiobooks. <laughs> right, exactly. It was the very first audiobook I ever listened to, and the narrator, Davina Porter, is oh, amazing. Shit. She can read a scene with, like, 
eight Scottish people in it and you I know exactly who they are without having to say, you know, said Jamie and, and said you know, Malcolm and yeah. said, you yeah. just know. And I was, I decided I was going to try and get fit and I walked down the street and I thought, I will, okay, I will download that audio book and I'll listen to it. It can keep me company. And I was walking in this street in the bush in Australia and I'd put my, my you know, my, my earphones in and I swear I was like in Scotland. It was just <laughs> amazing. The yes. And the best thing about audiobooks is how you can multitask. I don't know if it's just a female thing, but we, you know, I love to be mm. able to multitask. So I feel like when I'm driving along, yes. to drive and actually read a book is like the ultimate in multitasking or doing the grocery shopping or stuff like that that I normally find pretty boring. I feel mm. like I'm doing two things at once. So it's like win-win. So Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I, I want watch, some of those like listen. little headphones because I'll see people in the grocery store with like the little earbud, the little ear, like yep. AirPods or whatever, and I'm like, that is so smart. I could be <laughs> finishing my book while I'm getting groceries. Yep, yep. Always. <laughs> I, oh, I listen to podcasts now more. Yeah. I have, audiobooks are taking me to backseat because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts now. Um, but I, yeah. I must get back into reading some audiobooks, listening to some audiobooks again. But yes, I always do grocery shopping, listening to. And when I run into somebody at the shops, um, while I'm there, and I'm, I feel very resentful that I have to stop listening to my audiobook <laughs> to say hello. <laughs> Apologies to anybody who's listened to this that knows me who've met me in the shop and <laughs> I pretended it's okay that I have to stop my book to listen to you. <laughs> okay, my husband comes grocery shopping with me and I, I'm, I, sorry, are you talking to me? What? No. <laughs> Read the list here. <laughs> if my husband comes grocery shopping with me, we spend like an extra $200 every shop. So yes, <laughs> We yeah. fight every time. Every time we get yeah. to an argument in the grocery store. <laughs> yes. I'm like, you spent how much on this? Like you didn't even really buy anything. <laughs> exactly. Because I don't know about you, my husband, he just doesn't look at, you know, he doesn't compare prices or look at kind of, oh, that's one special or, you know, the kind of no, thing no, no, I no. think that women who've had raised families have done tend to do. Just like, right. oh, that's good. I want that. <laughs> just buy it when it could be something almost exactly the same next door that's like $2 cheaper and, you know, um, it, you know, our kids are grown and gone now and it probably doesn't, you know, there's not the financial pressure that they used to be, but right. but it's always funny. It's always like, oh, God, he's going to go shopping and I'm just going to prepare myself for the fact it's going to cost us double what it would cost me to go shopping. Yeah. But anyway. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, would you rather, you can only pick one to read for the rest of your life, backlist titles or new releases, which would you choose? I think this is a really, really mean question. I know. <laughs> I can't believe you asked a question like this. So do you mean, you don't mean my books, you mean backlists of, you know, anybody's books. and Anyways, right, right. yeah. I, I don't know. I There's so many good books I've read. <laughs> but how many good books are there in the future that I, I don't, you know, that I will read? So, and the thing is I don't tend to be much of a rereader, so I suppose I'd have to do new releases, I guess you know ultimately um yeah okay but just by like by a whisker by but like a, new releases was... eventually become backlist <laughs> well now that's true now we're getting philosophical with it yeah. i hadn't thought about it that way technically it came out last week is it a backlist title <laughs> yeah. look i definitely would prescribe to that theory i like that yeah that's good yeah. <laughs> We love romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Like so many people that I've listened to on this podcast, there's so many people that you hear about that are romance readers. I um, used to steal my mother's pills <laughs> 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 and doing romances when I was about, I don't know, I think, I think it was probably 11 or 12 when I probably stole her first one. And my mum read like, um, you know, the presents, the, the sexy books in Australia, they have red covers. Um, mm-hmm. She never read anything sweet at all. And um, so I think probably my, I don't remember what my first book was, I think it but would have been like a Penny Jordan or an Anne Mather or a Carol Mortimer. Um, she loved them. She loved Emma Darcy, uh, the Australian author. Um, and they were all really hot books. And I know at one point she said to me, I don't think you should be reading, you know, those books. But she never said no, and she never took it off me. And I was like, <laughs> okay. But then I just kept, <laughs> I just kept taking them, and and I just, I don't know, I just loved them from that. I mean, I've always been someone who's read lots of different books. I've always been a kind of a big reader. But um, we had a secondhand bookshop down the road that, in the holidays, my mother would go, and you know, she'd buy, she'd get twelve, you know, Harlequin Mills and Burn, and she'd get, um, she get these thin paper cowboy my father used to call them yippies like you know I used to call I call them romance novels for men because they're like you know um, Marshall Grover kind of you know western sort of American Mm -hmm. books get some for him and we used to be able to go get comics and then she would like you know switch then you could trade back you could take the books back and you'd get some you know Mm -hmm. so there was always always Harlequins in, in my house and um that's how I started that's how I got my start I love that because like one thing that really strikes a nerve for me is like, I will hear people say, oh, it's like your mom's romance. And I'm like, do you know what some of these people's moms, like some of my moms have read? (laughs) Exactly. And I I can tell you that I know that in like a lot of nursing homes here in Australia, um, because there's a lot of, um, you know, Mills and Boone novels that get passed around in nursing homes. And a lot of them are the other the sexy ones, like, you know, they're not, they're not reading, you know, let's have a little chase kiss and shut the door and, you know, then it's all over, you know. Yeah, no, no. It's There's the... a lot of women are into sexy stuff as well. And why not? Of course, of course so they much. are, you know, it's ridiculous to think that they wouldn't be, but yeah, exactly. Just because we don't like to think about it doesn't mean it's, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, your profile on fantastic fiction states that you've been writing since you were a little girl and that writing romance felt natural for you because you saw your mother banging away at a typewriter writing romance novels of her own. At what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally? Yeah, I don't know where, I don't know where fantastic fiction got that from because I was not somebody who was a writer as a child, like in that regard mm. at all. So I don't know where they got that from, but anyway, <laughs> but, <laughs> Definitely, my mother was writing a um, Mills and Boone when I was a when I was a child. She had, so she had four kids and <clears throat> was you know clearly a very busy person anyway. Um, but she had an old typewriter and she was you know also in the school holidays she'd always be sort of banging away at it. It never you know she kind of I don't know if she ever finished that book. I know she tried a couple you know more throughout her life. So I guess I did have that influence that probably had a subliminal kind of you know. Um, in the back of my mind, when I finally got around to thinking, oh, I'm going to write a book, I think it felt quite natural to me that, that you know, that, that was sort of something um, something to do. Um, I, I forgot the rest of the question, did I? I feel like I missed a whole chunk of it there. <laughs> Sorry. So um, at what so- point did you realise you wanted to do it? Yeah. All right, yes. So um, 
So this is this is how it all started. Oh I was living in the, <laughs> the juicy. Bits. I, I'm saying this because so many people in that I know in Australia have already heard this story, so I hope I'm not going to bore the people in Australia for it. But um, when I was uh, first married, my husband and I lived in the United Kingdom for a couple of years. We went overseas. We did a overseas like a working holiday. It was fabulous. It was so good. Um, and whilst I was there, I was temporarily unemployed for like six weeks. And it was our first winter <laughs> in the United Kingdom. Now, where I'm from in Australia, it's like it's winter today. Like, and I'm in, I'm in a t-shirt, right? It's like you know, it's like Florida weather, I suppose, as far as winter mm-hmm. goes. So, this week in the United, in this place we had moved to, the temperature didn't get above like zero degrees Celsius <clears throat> all week. We had like cobwebs that were frozen on our house. I had never seen a frozen cobweb in my life, <laughs> and it was freezing. And I was like, "What can I do that doesn't require me to get off my electric blanket um, whilst I wait for these?" You know, I kind of had some feelers out for um, for jobs, and I thought, "Oh, I know. I'll write that book that's in my head." And then I was like what what I hadn't even I realized at that point that I had a book in my head until that moment when I was like I'll just write that book that's in my head and that was a real sort of light bulb moment for me and then of course afterwards I realized of course I've always had books in my head I always have I just always sort of had an active imagination but in actual fact I've always had plots in my head but it was really because I was cold and didn't want to get out of bed was a a real impetus for me to actually um, start writing and I wrote that book in 10 days I wrote 5,000 words a day over 10 days longhand because this was the early 90s nobody had a nobody had a computer in their house we certainly didn't uh, and I had to pay to get it typed up, which was like a hundred pounds, a ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sent it off to um, Harlequin in the UK, which of course nine months later came back with a rejection. But um, I always say that, that book was kind of the book that made me a writer because that that rejection made me absolutely determined. I was like, okay, well, I will show you. <laughs> That yeah. I will write a book and you will publish it if it kills me. Yeah. I will do that. So there you go. And Twelve years later, <laughs> finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it took me. It took me a while to get there. Um, and I think I'd written three, four manuscripts um, before I got, you know, accepted. But it also, I was when I got back to Australia, I was like, oh, okay. So maybe I don't know what I, you know, maybe I'm not as good at this as I think I am. Maybe I don't know what I need to know. Where can I go? What can I do? What course can I do? I really, you know, I looked at, I looked upon those 12 years as an apprenticeship where I was, you know, working and working and working towards publication all the time. Always, always targeted Mills and Boone. I never for a moment wanted to write anything other than romance. I never for a moment thought, because this is, don't forget, this is back like pre-Amazon, pre-self-publishing, yeah. pre-everything, you know. The only publishing house really in the world that was the biggest one was um, it was Hulk and Mills and & Boone. And I thought, why would I want to be published anywhere else but the biggest publishing house in the world? Um, so I just always targeted them and I plugged away and I sort of started to get, uh, you know, rejections that had a little bit of feedback, you know, could you mm-hmm. tweak this, change that? So... And then I finally got the call from London, which was very exciting, in 2004. So, How long would it take usually for you to get either a rejection or the rejection with feedback 
bad. Uh, normally, it would take back then. It would take a long time. So that first one was nine months. Uh, I think I waited like twelve months before back. This back in the day when you used to, you know, send off your book that was like, you know, this thick, mm-hmm. and uh, it would cost you sixty Australian dollars to send it to the UK. Um, and then you get your letter arrived in the mail, like nine, ten, eleven, twelve months later. But it, I'm not sure when it happened. When it suddenly we were getting emails about it, and it became, you know, you could email your manuscript, and that became, you know, that became a lot easier. Um, but often, mm-hmm. but still, the I feel like, you know, because I was also working full time. I had children at that time, and I was working part time, and mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't something that normally I would get if I got a. Um, I'd write three chapters and send that off and then they'd come back, oh, yes, please, we want to see more. And I'd be like, oh, I haven't written those. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'd like sit down and like write the rest of the story and sort of send them off. So sort of, you know, you'd send off the three chapters and then that will take nine months to get back to you about those. And then you would send off the, you know, remaining chapters and it would take another nine months to get, you know, nine oh months to get back from that. So it was quite a lengthy process back in the day mm-hmm. uh, and I know lots of my friends that write for Harlequin and would have written many more manuscripts than that over in the years that they you know tried and tried and tried and finally got published as well so uh, but that's what you did you know back in the mm-hmm. day that was their only options and I think it I think it taught you a lot of things in that time as well I think it's good good was a good grounding to learn patience and resilience and yeah. working hard and and you know writing and getting better and you know trying to do things in between times that can mm-hmm. help you know courses and and um, go to conferences and do workshops and meet people and you know all that kind of thing yeah, so you had to really be driven and patient at the Absolutely. same time, which sometimes they don't sound like they go well together, but I mean, what's your other option, right? Like you don't, yeah. you don't really have any other option, but to yeah. wait. Yeah. I think my husband called it bloody mindedness, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it patience. You so when you were like in that process and you, you like, I think one thing that Sarah and I have learned from doing this so far is like, I mean, everyone that we've talked to has gotten a rejection letter and mo you know, we've had some where it's like, I got the first one and I just stopped doing it for a little while. Or yes. we've gotten some where it's like, I got the rejection, but it came with feedback, which is a mm-hmm. great thing. Mm. You're the first one that I think we've heard where it's like, Oh, I'm going to show you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep doing this, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, for anyone that's inspired, like aspiring to do it, you know, and there is that fear of just being rejected. Like, what did you learn from that process that you would kind of give to them as advice? Because I think sometimes like just starting out is just intimidating for a lot of people. Mm, Absolutely. It is. I, I think, and that's the first piece of advice is you have to finish a book. There's no, if you want to get published, you have to finish a book. There's no point, you know, starting a book that's great. Anyone can start a book. It's actually, you know, and even if you never, ever get a book published, the absolute satisfaction that you get when you get to the end of a book, when you get into that 50, 60,000 words, you, it's even now, even today that, you know, after 80 odd books, when I do it, it is still the best feeling in the world. It's like, I did that. I actually finish an entire book. It's pretty satisfying, but um, I mean, today there are so many other options. I think that's the thing as well for people. You know, if you get a rejection, 
there are options for you um, if you want to go if you want to go down that track as well. But I heard Lucy Munro say this um, on your podcast just recently. Um, just don't give up. I think just yeah. keep going. But also listen to you know find good people who know what they're talking about, who can help you, who can um, do critiques, you know, who read in the genre, who know the genre expectations, not, you know, a poet who's going to yeah. look at your work and, like, go, well, this is a piece of crap and, um, you know, because they don't understand what it's supposed to be about and because they're going to be snobby about it. Um, make sure you, you see that get the right help. Um mm-hmm. Join like your wrote local romance writers wherever you are association um, as a support group. There's amazing, amazing um, uh, resources they have. I would not be published without romance writers of Australia. Like you know, I really found my people there, and yeah. they were the they were the people who you know knew stuff that I didn't know or knew people that I didn't know, and then you you know you develop a network. All those things really help. I mean, writing can be quite you know, isolationist. I suppose mm-hmm. we're all pretty isolationist these days, aren't we? But, you know, particularly, you know, you sort of sit at home and um, the only other people that understand you understand that you've got voices in your head and know that you're not perhaps, you know, needing a little bit of Prozac are the people who, <laughs> who are, are also, you know, sitting at a computer with voices in their head just wanting to get out onto a page. So, yeah, just keep going, keep getting better. Don't keep reworking the same manuscript over and over and over. A lot of people do that. Um, at some point, I know people that have reworked the same manuscript for 10 years and never write another book. You learn so much from writing one book and sometimes it's better to go, I'm going to leave that now, put it under the bed yeah. with the other, <laughs> the other books and, <laughs> um, write a new one. Cause you learned so much from writing that, that, that first book. Um, you're going to be better on the second book. And then same with the second book into the third book. Like don't, don't spend a lot of time you know, putting all your hopes into one book. If you get a rejection from a few places, um, write another book. You'll be you'll be better. You'll learn so much more. Just yeah. keep writing. Yeah. And timing seems to be so important for the bookish world. Like it may not be the right time for that book. Like that trend may not be yeah. selling as well. I mean, there's just so many things I think to keep in. Absolutely, absolutely. I know it's. It could just. It could just be that the you know the publisher or the editor that you've talked just sent a book to. They say, look, I love this, but I've literally just bought a, a book. It's happened to me that with a really similar plot line. Yeah. Uh, so I can you know or you know as as was the case for me, I was also trying to write some chick lit back in the. I guess it must have been the two thousands, and but I was trying to write chick lit when chick lit was dead. <laughs> So it was like, of course I'm trying to write something that I love yeah. now. Nobody's, nobody's publishing. That was when Paranormal was huge, you know, and like oh, yeah. was dead. And, and um, so absolutely it is about timing. It can be about luck. It can, it can be about, you know, I think obviously good writing and talent is the basis for things, but there's lots of great writers out there that are really talented that for one reason or another missed because you know, the stars haven't aligned or, you know, Mercury isn't retrograde or whatever, you know, there's a lot of luck involved as well, for sure. And timing, yeah, absolutely timing. So you said one of our buzzwords. I'm sure you've heard, but like Sarah and I, we talk chiclet all the time. Oh, chiclet. Since you wanted to write it, how would you define chiclet? Because that is like one of our journeys is trying to discover what it is. (laughs) 
It is a little bit intangible, I think, isn't it? It's like, you know, Chicklet to me is Bridget Jones. Obviously, that was a book that started it all. And mm-hmm. I think, because uh, I know there's this sort of debate, is it Chicklet, is it romantic comedy? And I think they do have this crossover, and I've certainly written quite a lot of romantic comedy as well. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the difference is romantic comedy ultimately is more about the romance, whereas Chicklet has the romance, but it's not also just about that it has, um, you know, more broader themes. It has um, a, generally tends to have a big female, it tends to have a big friendship group as well. So it's about career yeah. and friendship as well as, you know, it's all, Chicklet's always got that, you know, you always have to have the, have to, but you know, they do have the happily ever after. There's all, there is a romance. But I think it's, um, I think there's more, slightly more in, a, in Chicklet that differentiates it from, romantic comedy because there are sort of other themes mm-hmm. but then of course you're going to read lots of romantic comedies that are quite chiclety as well and I think probably you know certainly the ones that I was writing in the in the in the 2000s was probably like that as well so mm-hmm. I think there's not I heard Bryony Green trying to um define it as well on your podcast and I was like <laughs> yeah. hey, it's, it's hard to sort of where does one one end and the other begin and I think that she's probably right, the chiclet of the 90s, 2000s is now the romantic comedy of, mm-hmm. of you know, yeah. of today. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you had two releases. This is according to online, which, you know, <laughs> so correct us if I'm wrong. But in 2005, you had two releases as a new author. So you had The Midwife's Miracle Baby and Earthquake Baby, which were both part of the Mills and Boone medical series. Yes, that's right. So, um, how as a new author how does it work out that you have these two releases come out and you know you tell us I mean we you went over the rejections you you talked about you finally got the call take us from that moment to now 2005 we have two releases yes so um because Harlequin tend to they're a little bit they're probably a little bit closer now but they usually had one year from the time that you're bought your book was bought um it was usually about a year until it would appear on shelves they schedule about a year out now sometimes now it can be about sort of nine-ish months but um, was then about a year sometimes a little bit longer uh so obviously when I was first bought I had one of the books that I'd just been writing that I'd been like that I previously worked on for them and it hadn't quite made it you know had ultimately got another rejection I had that book that I could then go back on and look at with fresh eyes and realise what they're asking me. So I was able to get back to them quite quickly uh, as well. So, but I, I mean, I published four or five books, I think most years since I've been, um, since I've been doing this, I think I did four years, four books a year for um, medicals for, you know, since I started apart for that first year where there was only a couple. Um, so yeah, I was doing four or five books a year for Harlequin essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know that was a that was fast. That's you know reasonably fast clip. But um, you know books only stay on shelf for a month. The the Harlequins. So um, now thankfully we have them online and they live forever online. Uh, but yeah, you have a very short window of time to sort of reach people. So mm-hmm. um, and I just you know I was still working uh, part time night duty as a nurse, uh, but I was essentially writing full time during the day, you know, um, writing books mm-hmm. to get them out to the to the medical line so I could, um, yeah, get more mm-hmm. books on the shelves, get my name out there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, for any of our listeners who are new to the Mills and Boone Harlequin Medical Series, how would you describe it to them? Uh, so I, I guess I can just relate it most to TV programs. You know, like it's Grey's Anatomy. If mm-hmm. you like Grey's Anatomy, you're probably going to mm-hmm. like the medical line mm-hmm. or any other medical shows um, like New Amsterdam, um, um, ER, mm-hmm. I'm showing my age now, going back into the, you yeah. know, um, <laughs> into the annals of, of my life. Um, it's medical drama um, kind of. And medical drama often has quite, you know, high emotional stakes because of, you know, because of medical situations. So um, sort of quite intense passion. There's a lot of, uh, and I think there's a lot of like alpha heroes sort of in that because a lot of the heroes tend to be doctors. So you, you, know, you have that kind of prestige that's, that's associated with that. And the thing I like about the medical line is that <clears throat> there's actually such a um, diversity of, of um, sensuality in it. Like you can get, Yes. Sweet, all the way through to like me. That's at the other <laughs> end of um, let's just rip the door off the hinges kind of um, sort of stuff. So and I camera in. <laughs> and I think that's a thing. I think if if you read enough in that line, you get to know the authors that write sweeter, and you'll get yeah. to know the ones that write sexier. And so you know you can work out what you know. I think. They're often portrayed as quite sweet and I often get quite sweet covers and I'm always a little bit nervous about that because I know that the content doesn't match the cover. (laughs) I know that somewhere along the line I'm going to get an email about that from somebody. Uh, And I think it's – I think there's a perception that they're sweet but that's not – definitely not always the case. But they are very emotional – reads um i mean they're across a broad spectrum it's not just hospitals like you know i've written a few veterinarians and there's like Mm -hmm. paramedics and anything Mm -hmm. that has any kind of um gp clinics any you know medical you know sort of thread through it will certainly fit in in the in the line um which is great as well because you get Mm -hmm. this huge you know sort of scope of situations and and plots and and tropes Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I haven't actually written for Harlequin Medical Romance for a few years. I had a bit of a break, but I'm actually writing one this year, which should be out next year. Yay. So, Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that medical has this misconception. I think that, like, I know before I actually read one, I was like, I don't know how sexy or romantic a hospital story can be. However, <laughs> that's just kind of the setting and it's yeah. really like it's a big deal, but it's not really a big deal. Like the mm-hmm. romance is still like the main thing in the book. The it characters is. just so happen to be like that's their profession. I think like if you think of like a cowboy romance, right? Like it's yeah. the same thing. It's just yeah. it's what or they do. Or office romance. Yeah, yeah or exactly. office romance. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think it definitely has this. Mis- people have this misconception that it's going to be like heavy on the medical, and it's like no, you you have some scenes where something medical happens because that's their job. But yeah. that's what you get in like an office romance or a yeah. cowboy romance. Yeah. It's the same thing. I think yeah. that often the medical is is what keep, brings them together and keeps them together as well. So it's mm-hmm. kind of that unifying gel. But like mm-hmm. some books will be quite. I've read some books that are quite medical light, and other books that are have a lot more medical detail and I think that in the beginning when I first started writing for them it, that's I found that a hard line to navigate like how much medical is to how much yeah. romance and I kind of stumbled with that juggled that struggled with that I suppose is better with that 
-hmm. but I haven't done that for a long time and I don't even think about it now when I write the story and very occasionally (laughs) editor might say I think it needs a little bit more medical (laughs) can't just have somebody taking a temperature and call that a medical Amy you have to like do more than that so um (laughs) but not usually I sort of you know just instinctively know because and because the story and because of the you know the trope you're using you can sort of work out what's you know what's what so um and that's again that's something with the line you can get a, a wide variety of medical settings and medical detail and some people really like the medical detail a lot of people mm-hmm. read that line because that's what they like to they like to you know to sort of get those details mm-hmm. and you can find an author in that line you know for any situation so yeah well you've touched a little bit on like you were a nurse so yes. As someone who has professionally lived in that world, worked in that world, what's been your experience both writing and reading that specific series? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I find it very – most of my medicals, the heroine is a nurse because I feel very comfortable writing a heroine as a nurse. I can do that, you know, blindfolded with, you know – two hands tied behind my back. So, and it's a whole right, which you know, you know, mm-hmm. and also having worked, um, you know, for, I only stopped nursing sort of six years ago, mm-hmm. having access to, to medical people, I just go to work and go, what do you think would happen if, <laughs> which made me for a very lazy researcher, I could just go and sort of, you know, ask people that I had quite sort of um, close contact with. Um, when I first, when I, I've forgotten this actually, when I first, when I was trying to get published, I actually read a medical romance because I was, you know, reading broadly across all the Harlequin lines trying to work out, you know, where I went because I had really – the first romance I had written, that one in when I was really cold, wasn't a medical romance but it did have a doctor as a hero. So and I read a medical romance for the first time and it was a great medical romance but there was one scene in it where the doctor gave um, a patient a bedpan I was just like, well, that's never happened in my life. So I think, I think, and it was a great book. I can't remember what it was called. It was a really good book, but that really like jarred with me being a nurse. I was like, okay. And that's when I actually changed tack. I thought I'm going to write, you know, I'm going to write, see if I can write a medical because at least I can get, there'll be no doctors giving bedpans in my books. So I think it's been, it's good to be able to add that authentic, kind of detail I think mm-hmm. I remember reading Carol Marinelli um I don't, I don't know if Carol still writes for the medical line but she wrote many medicals as well she writes um presents also I've never met Carol and Carol's a good friend now and I love her but, I, but prior to um meeting knowing her um the first book of medical book of hers I read I thought she is a nurse I just just from the way that she just described the you know what was going on in the workplace and it wasn't about the big stuff it wasn't the you know let's let's resuscitate stat it wasn't that kind of stuff it was like the little stuff that you got so right and so I think it's nice when you don't have to have that background of course today with the internet you can you know but it's you know it's nice to be able to have that kind of background to put that detail in and then everything else we have the internet yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> thank goodness I don't have people write for the internet oh <laughs> <laughs> Nurses are very much undervalued, and you're right. They do all the heavy lifting, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they certainly give out the bedpans for sure. <laughs> you're, you're right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
from what we've seen, um, in 2012, you published your first Mills and Boone Modern Harlequin Presents Romance, Innocent Till Proven Otherwise. How did your writing for this series come to be? Okay, so that's interesting because that was actually my first Kiss book. So, um, yeah, well, no, well, not really because I, I was trying to think of the timeline of how this all happens with Kiss. Um, but it started off as being called Reba in the UK, oh, okay. and okay. then it went from Reba to Modern Tempted in the UK. Oh my god! Uh, and then it finally went to Kiss. And I think, but I think it was always wow. Kiss in the US. I think I, I'm not. I can't remember for sure. I tried to find um, Innocent to Proven Otherwise with an actual Kiss cover, and I couldn't. But it did go in as um, a presents extra. So mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure in the end how that all washed out. But I certainly have covers, you know, Reba and Modern Tempted covers of Innocent or Proven Otherwise, which is what we got in Australia as well. And then they changed mm-hmm. it all to sort of the Kiss uh, branding. So All um, these great Harlequin, Mills and Boone mysteries. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they changed the title from Reba to Modern Tempted because Reba obviously wasn't working and uh, Modern Tempted, I guess, they were trying to get the modern readers to sort of think oh what's that that sounds like modern um so all that marketing you know really I guess ultimately because mm-hmm. um, I so, was yeah. just like oh my gosh like we were freaking out we were like she's written for like so many different series not yeah. just the medical and I was like oh my gosh she wrote for presents too That's really <laughs> well actually I don't know I don't know if presents still do this but I've got three um I've got them here I've got three of my books in presents extra so yeah. what they used to do is they used to take, I think, two books a month from other lines that kind of fit with the Presents promise, and they would they would put them as Presents extra. And mm. so I've got Innocent or Proven Otherwise and The Devil in the Deep, which are both Kiss books. And um, I'll just drop this book. Um, the other one was a medical romance, um, The Italian Count's Baby, like several years prior to, to the Kiss lines. It got put in the Presents extra line as well. Uh, as presents extra so um I don't know if they do that anymore I don't think that they do no not I remember that time because that I think they were releasing something like 10 titles a month because you had your eight presents and then like these two or three extra but I didn't realize that's what the extra were back then I assumed that they might have been like subscription like for like you know but no thank you for explaining that is it kind of like for us Sarah how what is it is it special edition and romance for us they're that but when they're in the uk they're true love is it kind of like that like they release our titles in a different series overseas is that kind of like maybe what happened with those i don't know I uh, no, I think that the presents extras were they wanted extra they were re-released titles in that they were they were re-releases yeah they were okay. backlist yeah yeah. Um, I, I don't know that they were that. Yeah, no, they would have been backlist, but not not you know, fifteen years ago backlist, but reasonable back, reasonably. Okay. But yeah, every mm-hmm. every line. Uh, I think we're going to get to that anyway. But every sort of line or most lines are called things, different things in different countries. Which yeah, can yeah. Be very confusing for everybody. Yeah. Concerned. I know that they're probably like, I'm so sick of them sleuthing, trying to figure out all of our secrets. <laughs> because even no, if you look at if you look at and you go and you look at the UK and you look at Australia and what have you, and I type in a title that's current as of this month, the UK may not have it. 
mm-hmm. because it might not like if it's especially if it's a cowboy, that might not be something yeah. that UK readers are interested in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the, the medical line, um, so there's six releases a month in the medical line. But, like, in France, they have eight releases a month in the medical line because France mm-hmm. love medicals. That's they, they, the, the most um, popular line in France. Um, oh. So what they do is they drag two books from other series that might have medical themes or, you gotcha. know, medical character, and they put that in as a, as a medical book in France. So, yeah. That so is so cool. Yeah, it is I cool. It's this the whole thing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it oh is fascinating. God. And trying to, especially because I've been doing this for so long, I'm trying to keep the timelines in my head. I'm, I'm so pleased you have kind of this in 2030 in your place. Like, oh, good. That's I, all I want to read. I'd just be asking questions. <laughs> yeah. How do you like writing? Like, Bree's our question girl. We're just like, if we're going to have Amy Andrews on and she's written for every damn series under the sky, let's right? and she really knows. sock it to her. That's well, right. I haven't really, really have only written for medical and for Kiss. I did actually, um, I was asked to write for the Dayline when the Dayline first started. Oh. And, um, yeah, and um, I first I took a pass then because my schedule was a little bit crazy, but also I'd been part of a line that folded, the Kiss line, and that was hard. It's hard when you're part of a line that closes. And it's not just hard on the authors, it's hard on the editors too because they love the line and they love the, you know, they love the inventory, they love the books that they publish, they believe in them, they really, they're their babies as well. So, Oh my gosh, can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? Sure. Sure. Okay. So when you were approached to possibly write for Dare, were you aware that it was ending? No, no, no. This is this is before it even begun. This was this, this is was before back it even. When, for, okay. Yeah. Okay. This is so we, we're doing a new line. Would you like to write for it? So because yeah. because they knew because I I because you can't like swear in um you can't say the f word in medical romance and stuff like that and and I always try to slip it in. They always would take it out. <laughs> and they were like, would you, and I couldn't do it in Kiss either. And they were like, you know, would you like to write this new line? And I'm and they're like, you know, you'll be able to swear. You can say it. <laughs> Sign me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so no, I didn't know. Um, it, I didn't know it was closing. No, when it first started, but I also because I, you know, Kiss. I don't know. Kiss only went for a couple of years, three years. I, I can't did, remember. Yeah, I think it's three years. Yeah, and I just thought, I think I'm just going to sit this one out for a little while and see how a new yeah, line goes. Course, yeah. It was part of a new oh, line yeah. that you know, and I didn't want to. I just thought I will hold off and I will wait and see. My schedule was crazy anyway, so you know. And then um, last year, I don't know, last year, not last year, last year was just a waste, wasn't it? It must have been, I actually then sort of wrote it, I wrote a dare and uh, I got it rejected. So, you know, you can write, you can write many, many books and and still get rejections. I think it was um, one of those, one of those things that the line was very much, um, there was a variety of stuff being published and I think it was one of those things we don't, know what we want but we know it when we see it and I just feel like it wasn't the right time the right fit the right so and that's fine that's my very I went on and self-published that was my very first ever self-published indie it's called Undercover B and Air so it's actually um it can be bought just not just not under the dare and then I was very sad because you know I really wanted to be part of the dare line because yeah. <laughs> I like to be able to say the you know I'm like oh finally I get a book that I can 
and like let the occasional f-bomb slip and that would be great <laughs> um and then it sort of just never happened and then the line you know it's not, not long after that it was you know we heard the line was going to close so unfortunately very sad very very yeah. sad I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead because, I mean, we're eventually going to get to this. But, like, I have to ask while it's on my brain or I'm going to forget. So you're in the thick of writing for Kiss, right? And I look at Kiss and I'm like, these books look so fun. Why aren't we still getting these? Hmm. How are you as an author? Are y'all contacted and you're told, like, hey, the line's coming to a close? I mean, one of the things that I asked Sarah, like, before we began, I'm like, are there ever any series that they just know, like, hey, we're only going to do this series for, like, two years or something? And she's like, no, I don't think so. But, like, what drives the decision to, like, what drove the decision for Kiss to end? Because I'm like, what's wrong with these books? (laughs) Why aren't we still getting these books? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just a business. It's a business decision. It's not a decision that's made by editors who, as I was saying before, love the books and love their and fight for them. They really fight, you know, for these books that they believe in. It comes down to a business decision, and I suppose the line just wasn't, you know, performing the way that they wanted it to perform. Uh, it wasn't finding its audience. I think Kiss struggled to find its audience. I think it kind of started out wanting to attract the twenty sort of somethings that were like that were like buying category romance online through other publishing houses but um there's that kind of sort of stigma I guess often with Mills and Boone about you know oh, I'm not going to read Mills and Boone and I always laugh when people say that and they're reading you know a category romance from another publishing yeah. house I'm like oh honey you are reading a Mills and Boone it's just <laughs> being published by a different by a different publishing it's category romance it's exactly yeah. the same I write exactly the same category romance for um Entangled and for Tuli that I write for for Harlequin, um, but and I th- I think they were really trying to sort of find that audience um, that were reading you know um, Entangled had become really really big and really popular it's trying to sort of get those readers that were reading um, digital books and voraciously reading digital books and mm-hmm. um, and so I think it you know they kind of it just didn't sort of find the audience I think that they were hoping to find unfortunately we're all very sad about it because we love writing for them as well yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's kind of sad it's almost like there's this stigma for the specific publisher but you are essentially reading the same thing from yes. somebody else it but always makes me the, laugh the name always. is different who it is is different yeah. It's like you don't have to worry about that stigma, which is like this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it is sad because it's like there are such you know there are such great books that you know great category books that, that um, uh, Harlequin do and put out and always have, uh, and you're missing out on a whole lot of it because you're you know you have this you know in your brain that you couldn't possibly read those books when you are actually reading those books. You are totally reading those books, um, but yeah, I guess. That I guess that's always sort of the struggle to find, you know, for any publishing house to find new readers and, you know, how do you go about doing that? And um, especially, I guess, if you're an older, more traditional publishing house, uh, you know, having decades and decades and decades of doing it one way forever and ever and ever, like, you know, Harlequin had done was quite a massive, you know, enterprise and have to, like, swing that ship around come 2011 when amazon you know or whenever amazon kind of took and and self-publishing really took off and um it became a whole other beast beast a whole (laughs) other thing that they were like 
you know, it took a while. You can't just turn a big ship like that around and, you know, on, on a dime. You have to – oh, look at me go with my Americanisms. Um, you have to <laughs> – you have to, you know, it took a lot longer, whereas a lot of newer um, digital-only publishing houses were much more nimble and they, you know, were able to, yeah. like, you know, move a lot, lot more quickly. So uh, I think the sort of KISS line didn't quite – you know, set out to do what they would hoped it would do, and these decisions are made at the top. So, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And if you look at that time period, I mean, it was probably about a five to ten year time period. They had a lot of stuff come and go. You know, like yes. they had the duets line, and then it went, and they had the flip side line, and it went, and Blaze left, and yeah. So Blaze, really, oh, Blaze, really like know. a stab in my heart. I always want to write for Blaze. Always, always want to write for Blaze. Classic, Sarah. It's your cult classic. I was like, one day, one day I'm going to write for Blaze. One day, one day I'm going to do it. And then, that, then it was like, it was gone. I'm like, oh, I no, I should, have, I should have tried for that line earlier. I, I love know. Blaze. And I get a kick. Like, I'll see people, especially at Halloween. I know Tiffany Rice will repost that Blaze book that she, the Halloween book that she put out that every yeah. Halloween she post on her Instagram. And I read the comments of people like, you wrote for Harlequin? Like, as if, you know, you stabbed your mother? Like, <laughs> <laughs> She amazing, did, and the book know? is fantastic. Like, yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really see that they were trying to get their footing in the new, you know, in the new way. Yeah, I think also mm-hmm. happened with Temptation, too. I used to love the Temptation oh, line. The and Temptations I'm really sad. fantastic. Yeah. I, again, I think Temptations went like, a bit like medical. It had quite a variety of, such a variety of, um, you know, authors and stories and plots yeah. in it. Um I think I like I found Vicky Lewis Thompson. I think in um, in Temptation and like you know yeah she wrote this... she wrote quite a number of them yeah the yeah. yeah yeah and I sort of you know I followed her for quite a while read everything that she kind of put out but um one of my favorite Blaze authors is an Australian author Sarah Mabry and oh. I will read anything that Sarah Mabry you know she would like wanted to publish her shopping list I would like read it <laughs> um I mean Sarah is actually a friend as well now but like. I just, you know, I love Sarah. I love Sarah. So she does, she's doing a, uh, a lot of self-publishing yep. now as well. And, um, but also, I mean, Sarah writes one of our big major television shows here and always has um, one of our really? soloists. So yeah, Neighbours. So, um, oh, you know, okay. yeah, yeah. So she's, um, she's got lots of feathers in her cap, but ugh, I just love, I love Sarah's writing. So, yeah. I really liked her super romance. Yes, you wrote for Super Romance for a while did, there yeah. as well. Yeah, the best that's right. plans is is actually that book yes. has my favorite cover. The book was great, but that cover with that red umbrella, every time I see it, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I want it on my wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really love like at Sarah, Sarah writes a bit funny as well, which is kind yes. of how I write. So I really, really like that about um, Sarah's stuff. She does lots of blue collar kind of guys, and I also like that. I, I think because. You know, I tend to write a lot of doctors or sports heroes or cowboys or that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I think people tend to think that I write alpha heroes, but if anybody's ever read any of my heroes, they know <laughs> that they're really not alpha at all. They might have an alpha job, but they're quite, I always say I write a gamma hero, like, you know, the kind of elf on the outside, but yes. gooey, gooey in the middle. Um, and that's what the kind of characters that Sarah writes, and I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we, okay, so now we know that the Presents titles are actually KISS titles. So Mm -hmm, good to mm -hmm. learn. Okay, so 
it just looks like you had these years where you were writing for both Harlequin, Mills, and Boone. And then you have your Entangled Publishing coming yep. out as well. So you were writing yes. under their Indulgence series at first. That's right. So four releases in the same year, different publishers. <laughs> Take us back to the writing prior to the release. How are you writing these multiple books that then come out in the same year for different publishers? Like, are you staggering? Were there any titles yeah. that you were writing at the same time? Like, give us all the details. <laughs> I, don't, I don't tend to write the same, more than one book at any one time. I, occasionally I have done a little bit. I don't like doing that. I really like having, doing one book and concentrating on one book. I really resent if I have to write like kind of two at once and that's mostly because I'm behind on deadline and I've done it to myself and I spend like, you know, <laughs> loathing myself a lot for doing that. Um, the first book that I had out with Entangled, Tailing Tycoon, was actually the first book that I wrote for The Kiss Line and it was rejected oh, from there. <laughs> okay, so at this point, listeners, I mean, Amy Andrews has written plenty of books, but there are still rejections. So do Absolutely. not be afraid of the rejections. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't happen often these days, but it's still absolutely, uh, you can never get too, too comfortable. Um, but I love that book. It was my one where I've got only one bed um, in, <laughs> and I really believed in it, and Entangle were doing so incredibly well. And at that point, I really wanted to try and diversify not put all my eggs in one basket. I wanted to, you know, self-publishing was doing incredibly well. Lots of authors were trying different things, and I thought I'm going to start, you know, spreading some eggs into different baskets. Um, okay. And I just I, I wrote to Entangle and said, look, I have this book. I know I don't know if you're interested, and, you know, I sent it, and they were like, oh, my God, yes, please, we want it. So <laughs> I was very excited that that book that I love so much um, – did did find a home uh and and so then i yeah so then i was writing for harlequin and i was writing for um for entangled and then i later wrote for tully as well and yeah you just you know you just juggle your contracts and you juggle your deadlines and i was writing four to five books a year anyway for harlequin so it was just a matter of you know um writing a couple for harlequin one for you know you just it's just about juggling trying not to write two books at once i know people who can do that but i've decided it's just not something that i can do um and yeah just I was able to write I was still writing category romance for Entangled but I was able to um it wasn't medical or kiss I was able to push some more boundaries that I wasn't able to do um you know with the Harlequin categories so I could um be even more liberal with my language I could um you know well it's probably the only thing I really couldn't do in uh, in Harlequin so um yeah, I was able to just sort of look at it, you know, sort of have a different sort of style, I suppose, of um, mm. different um, situations and plots. And, uh, yeah, I had a good I, – I liked having the variety, being able to, you know, go back to – and writing for those lines really changed the way that I wrote for Harlequin too, actually, which was interesting, writing for, um, writing for Entangled. So um, as in I used to sort of – do a lot of quick sort of um, point of view changes in, in my uh, Harlequins and um, Entangle like, nope, can't do that. <laughs> nope, 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 not going to let you, nope, nope, nope. And um, then I, so that kind of forced me not to do that. So then now I can't do the other way like I used to. So yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think the more you, the more you do this, you know, I don't think you ever stop learning or 
growing or, you know, sort of, you know, adjusting, tweaking, mm. changing. Uh, I think your, your voice, you know, your writer's voice is the one thing that sort of stays and that's the thing that, you know, people, readers love, you know. Mm-hmm. You can really tell authors that have voice. You really can, you know, you can really pick them out. Um, yeah. But everything else is up for, you know, it's always up for <laughs> to change and renewal and, you know, trying different things. I went through a stage, I think, must have been about that time where I decided I was going to say yes to anything that came across my path, anything. I think that year, one year, I can't remember what year it was, I had eight books out. And <laughs> that was a crazy year, but that was because that was because some books that were supposed to come out that previous year were held over to the next. So it wasn't that I wrote, you know, eight books in that year. It just was the way mm-hmm. scheduling sort of worked out. I was um, I wrote for a smaller publishing house here uh, in Australia called Macmillan. I did a couple of books with them. I wrote for Harlequin Escape here in Australia, which was a digital arm of Harlequin in Australia. They were all category romance as well. Um, I actually was asked by um, – I did a couple of Bold and Beautiful books in the world, the Bold and Beautiful worlds oh that came God. to me by Macmillan. Um, that was a that was a crazy ride. Uh, so that was a year I said yes to everything, and then I was exhausted. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've had my year of yes, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I guess it was that thing, say yes, you never know where it's going to lead. Like with the Bold and Beautiful books, I wrote two of those, and it was like, well, who knows where that's going to lead. You never know. And really it didn't lead anywhere, but it was an experience. And, um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not sad that I did it. I'm quite proud that I did that. So, yeah. Yeah, so you talked a bit about the uh, Entangled, and we're just, I mean, I've been reading Category for over 20 years, but to me, Category was always Harlequin, Mills and Boone. That was it. There was nobody else. But now we're learning more about it. So what, are there similarities between writing for Mills and Boone and writing for Entangled? What are the different lines like? Can you give us some of that information? They are absolutely, I've been listening to you guys saying, oh, I didn't know you could get Category in other publishing houses. I was like, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> we think, we honestly thought, well, they got rid of everybody. <laughs> yeah, the juggernaut came through and cleaned everyone out. <laughs> no, you absolutely. So, yeah, Entangle has quite a few Category lines. Um, Thule, Thule Publishing, Okay, you know, so you ca- you've said Thule. I didn't know Thule did category either. They do. All, yeah, most of their lines are category in, in Thule. They do really? some single title, but a lot of their lines are also category. So I it's love Thule. I love yes. them. So to me, uh, category is, um, okay, so category romance was obviously um, invented for a bit of word, you know, is a Harlequin, you know, product mm-hmm. in lots of ways. But it's 50,000, 60,000 words with a very intense focus spotlight on just the romance okay. to me that, and, and, have, and happily ever after. You know, that is yep. what the, that's what makes a category. And so absolutely all those other, you know, publishing houses mm-hmm. have books that are like that. And so in lots of ways, like I was saying to you before, I don't write any differently for any of those publishing houses in category romance. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I write the stories that I write for them, I could easily write for Harlequin, except for the F-bombs. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I don't find it really any sort of, I don't really find it any different at all. I, you know, I, yeah, I feel like the category that I write for one is a category that I write, you know, for another. Um, yeah. Very interesting. I think it's just because, like, I mean, with Thule, I've I've ordered from them online and I love them, like, during like their Christmas books are always some of my 
favorite of the year. Yeah. But with like Entangled, I, I guess because I am a huge, like I go to the bookstore, I go to the Walmart, I go to Target. If it's not there, I assume like it doesn't exist. And yeah. so like when when we started hearing about Entangled, like we got on one night and we were like on their website and Sarah and I both were like, we've actually read a lot of these books and yeah. we had no idea that they were category. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. I think it's because it's like it's online and you're not seeing yeah. it like in the shops. Yeah. yeah. So you don't assume that that's what it is. But that, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. And I think that's why that's why that's sort of the reverse of what I was saying about people who would never read Harlequin and they, they're like you, they're going, oh, you know, I've found all these books and they're wonderful and they're amazing. They don't realize they're reading category romance, the same as what you can get in, in Harlequin, you know. Yeah. So I think the same sort of fits with that. It's absolutely, they are absolutely category lines um, that, you know, it's a really intense focus on the, on the, you know, on the, on the, the, you know, you have fifty thousand words. There's not a lot of words to, no. you know, to have a lot of other subplot and those kind of things with. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're reading category all along. See, you just didn't know it, all but you were. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and then we have to remember, like, yes, even though Sarah and I we support all the ways that we can if we get the books in the stores we're also going to get the ebooks but there are <laughs> readers that only want the ebooks and so yes. there's like an entire market yeah. for that obviously yeah. so it makes mm -hmm. sense it is. I'm learning and so in fact much. I think there's often readers like you guys are not the norm I think you there are readers that are only paperback or you know only physical mm -hmm. hard copy of books who will only and others will only read ebooks, and there's actually not a lot of crossover often between those. I mean, you guys mm -hmm. are obviously the crossover, and there are people, you know, many people like you as well. But from my experience with um, a lot of readers, it's like it's print or it's e, and it's like yeah. never the twain shall meet, and it can be a little frustrating because it's like actually there are such great books out there that you'll only find an ebook, um, yeah. and it's mm -hmm. a shame that you have a thing about reading it you know someone lots of people like oh I could never read an ebook I you know I just love the smell of of um real books and holding my hands and I get that of course I love that as well but I'm not gonna like shut myself off to you know to a whole other you know stack of of books that I can read and the best thing is that I can put 600 books in my handbag on my device like, <laughs> so you technically always have a book with you. Yeah, right? absolutely. Exactly. exactly. So you also have a few cowboy romances published, which we are huge cowboy romance fans. We think they deserve way more love. What inspired you to begin writing those? Uh, so I've always loved a cowboy. I should put that down as one of my favorite tropes. I don't know if cowboy is a trope, but I do – I've always loved a cowboy because there's something about a guy who can fix stuff and do stuff with yes. his hands that really, yes. really does it for me. Yes. <laughs> and that's just a cowboy, isn't it? That's like the epitome is like, you know, the land, the guy on the land sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm supposing, you know, the um, Tuli books that I've written, uh, and they're quite, you know, they do a lot of cowboy stuff at Tuli. Um, so I've written a couple there. I was asked to write, they had a, did a bull rider series. And I, was, I was listening to Nita Crespo the other day talk about her, her, um, her bull rider <laughs> finish. <laughs> um, and so 
that was like American Extreme Bull Riders, I think. So um, I wrote a book in that. That you know, me if I'd write a book. And Sarah Mabry wrote one as well. And um, Kelly Hunter, who's another amazing, amazing, amazing um, category romance writer from Australia. So we all sort of wrote a book in that. And that ended up being, well, first of all, it was called Troy. And now it's called um, A Doctor for the Cowboy. Um, and then last year I wrote a Christmas book. He's not a cowboy. He's a small town cop. But I guess, you know, I kind of think that. Uh, kind of cowboys in their own sort of way, aren't they? Uh, and I've written single title category romance, a single title um, cowboy romance with in, Entangled, um, which was The Trouble with Christmas. The Trouble with Christmas, um, yeah. Yeah, that, so that's a, that's a bigger book and it's sort of distributed through Macmillan. It was on shelf in, in the US. Yes. Um, that, 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 that was so nice that, to I see. Kind of, <laughs> I know, very exciting. It's great to have a book on, you know, book on, on shelf. And actually the fourth book in that series was supposed to come out in May and it's not coming out until next February now because of, you know, COVID's messed with lots of schedules and there's lots of different sort of stuff, machinations going on in the background. Um, and so all the kind of guys in that series, whilst not strictly speaking, are cowboys. Um, and I think the, yeah, the fourth book's got a small town cop in it. So, um, but I do, I do love me a cowboy. I certainly love reading cowboy romances. I just, just, you know, Love it when they do stuff with their hands, yeah. <laughs> with their calloused, calloused hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> is it a cowboy romance if that isn't mentioned? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Absolutely. Um, we're recording this episode during Christmas in July, um, and we have to chat about your 2020 Christmas romance published with Thule. All's Fair in Love and Chocolate. So I found this one the other night when we were looking at stuff, and I immediately messaged Brie. I'm like, Brie, look at this book. <laughs> and we both immediately one-clicked it. So I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> excellent, um, excellent. Can you tell us about the book, what inspired you to write it, How did and how did publishing it with Thule happen? Okay, yes. So um, All's Fair in Love and Chocolate, he's a small-town um, cop in that. It came about because Jane Porter, now Jane Porter runs Tully I Publishing. I love Jane Porter. <laughs> Tully Publishing is Jane Porter's baby. Um, and she, um, so the, Tully Publishing have a big, um, um, their Marietta books have like a, you know, a town where they set a lot, a lot of the a lot of the authors write books set in the town of Marietta. I've read quite a few of them back in the beginning, but I haven't ever written for them. But Jane approached me and said, I think we need to give Marietta a little bit of a shake-up. Everybody is so nice and so lovely, and I'm thinking I want somebody to come in and just really give them all a bit of a shake-up. What do you reckon? Do you want to write that book? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I can shake <laughs> things up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I sort of have an outsider um, come in and set up in competition to – There's this, this great chocolate shop in Marietta, the Sage's chocolate shop that everybody goes to and it's in every book. And so she comes in and sets up competition to this chocolate shop in in uh, Marietta and um, causes quite quite a lot of, you know, consternation and quite a big stir uh, and they end up having this big chocolate off competition, over, you know, over Christmas time and stuff as well. So that book happened because Jane Porter approached me about that. Wow. And then as always happens usually with me, <laughs> I always tend to have like secondary characters that you know want to then demand their own their own sort of story, 
and we'd always talked about doing sort of two books. I'm actually about to start writing the second book that's linked to that book, which is going to be yeah. called, I'm going to have to look it up now. Um, it's going to be called You Had Me at Chocolate. Ooh. And it's the hero in the first book, his ex's Clementine. It's her, it's her story. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and I first started writing for Tully, um, Jane, I think Kelly Hunter, who actually edits for them, might have approached me about writing for it. But when the kiss line was folding, this just shows you that there's kind of the crossover. Um, when the kiss line was, we knew it was sort of, you know, it was looking dicey and we thought it probably was going to fold. And um, myself and Heidi Rice and Kelly Hunter and um, who else? Somebody else um, had a series that we had written together called Fairy Tales of New York. And we had the option to um, have it maybe go into the Kiss Line uh, digitally and perhaps not do so well because the line was folding. Mm-hmm. Or we could take it um, to Thule and really not really know how well it went. Obviously, you know, if you have a book out with Harlequin, you have an established audience. And mm-hmm. um, and we sort of took it to Thule and said, you know, would you like this series? And they said yes. So that's how I first started um, publishing with that, Fairy Tales of New York. And then I've just sort of done a book for them every, I think, I think I've done, I don't know how many books, I've done 12 books for them or something. Every sort of now and then um, I'll do a book because I love, Tuli has this, um, you know, Jane is such an inspirational, uh, you know, author and, you know, sort of mentor and um, it's a really very inclusive, very warm environment for authors and it is really all about, you know, about authors and their creativity and sort of being able to do what they, the kind of projects that, that they're passionate about. So it's a lovely place to write. I really love writing for Tuli. Love it. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the fill in the sentence, you are our first Australian author that we're getting Yay! the opportunity to speak mm-hmm. with. So thank you again. Yeah. We would love to hear because this is something that we're always like every episode we're chatting and we're like, hey, if you're listening and you're overseas, what yeah. differences do you see or hear in the way the Mills and Boone slash Harlequin books are released in yeah. Australia versus north america or everywhere else in the world basically like what do y'all have that we don't have (laughs) (laughs) this and this is the thing i think that you don't until you do it like a deep dive like you guys have done you don't realize that all the lines are called different things in different countries and they all come all the books come out at different times in different countries and it can all get very very confusing even for the authors because it also changes you know, it changes for us as well. Like I think yeah. now, not long ago, they announced that um, there, I think actually it might be company-wide, so it might be in every country, that all books now are going to be released on the one day and not staggered. And so, yeah, yeah so they will become available on, on shelf. On, uh, they, they're available a bit earlier online, but they'll all come on shelf at the one time so everybody can get them all at once. Um so we have, so we have the modern line here as well, which is pre- you know it's presents where you guys are. It's modern in the UK. It used to be called sexy um, in Australia for many 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 years, wow. um, but it, they've just recently changed it so it's called modern here now in Australia as well. So, um, and they, I, I'm pretty sure they don't do duos. I think they do just all single single releases in in the presents in the modern. 
and they, we have Desire here, and I think they come out in duos, or there might be some duos and a couple of single books in that line. The medical line comes out, now it comes out in three duos. It used to be four singles and one duo, and then it was like one single and two duos, and now it's now it's um three <laughs> duos. Um, so that's two books, you know, in in one in one edition. Um, we have like we do a they have the um, Harlequin suspense line here. They have a Harlequin historical line comes out here. They have um, this this sweet line used to be called sweet. We used to have sweet and sexy. It used to be called sweet for years as well. It used to have sort of pink covers. And now I think I told is it forever? No, I can't remember what it's called. Is now. it the your version of our romance? Yeah. Is it maybe is it is it forever or I've seen forever and I've seen heart. No, I think heart is the UK. Hey, isn't it? Let me just check back because I know I was. Somebody's at this is year. true love. I true think love is. I think that's romance because if it was called sweet to me, that would uh, be the heartwarming line because those are sweet yeah. romances. Whereas the romance line can get pretty spicy. Ah, okay, all right. Uh, yeah, forever. It's called forever here now, and I know that's just not long changed. The, the okay. sweet line is called forever. So. Um, Yes, we we have a, a variety of differences to you all have to the desire. UK. You said you have desire. We have desire. We get desire here as well. Oh, yeah. Wow, because yeah, it yeah. seems so North American drama. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the desire line is really, really popular here. Yeah, wow, absolutely. Okay. Um, and we've always had like I remember always they're always been desire on shelf like for as long as I've been you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't y'all have westerns? Do you have westerns? We do have, yeah, we have westerns, which are, I don't, so I suppose they draw them, the Australian office, I think, draws the western line books from North American, you know, okay. I guess they pick and choose which ones they, they bring out. So that, that comes out as a duo, two books okay. a month in the one in the one cover sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and that's actually a reasonably new as well in like the last couple of years i think like that hasn't we haven't always had western yeah. like 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 that as, a, as its own separate line and we also have australian favorites i think it's called um well they usually bring out backlist titles in a wrap of you know they'll choose an author and they'll bring out two of their backlist titles um i, uh, I think every month favorites. i don't know i don't know if they do that now to be honest but they certainly have in the past mm-hmm. so i don't know if there's more sort of ad hoc so every now and then they might do it yeah that's so cool because what you have is obviously somebody was doing their job and was like what are people interested in so to know that people in australia are interested in westerns aka we all know that those are cowboys in small towns and then like desire that's so cool yeah yeah we actually have a couple of desire authors in australia also so you know it's good for them to be able to see them selves on a on a shelf they also are very good the australian office are doing um like bigger bind ups like bringing them out in the big trade paperback size i've got Ooh. one from a little while ago of three of my books in the big paperbacks like they're that's all so backlist cool. but you know with a beautiful cover and you know just amazing and so that's great for us because that means you know a different revenue stream for authors as mm-hmm. well when you're having when they're constantly trying to always repackage backlist you know in different ways to get you know, new customers to, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it can be 
pretty annoying if you buy it <laughs> thinking it's a new book and it's, you know, not a new book and you've already got it. But I think, you know, that's definitely a way to try and attract new readers, new customers um, mm-hmm. to the lines. And, you know, because we know once you, once you get hooked, they got you. <laughs> lifelong, lifelong. You can't stop. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Um, should we do some fill in the sentence? Yes, let's do that. I love this part. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm not writing, I'm? I am usually um, watching TV, binging something on some streaming service or (laughs) maybe walking on the beach, certainly Mm -hmm. drinking a cocktail out of my deck, looking at my view. (laughs) There you go. I mean, I have to know what, like, what, What's the last thing you binged? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, what was the last thing I binged? Oh, I have a terrible memory now. I'm going to forget. Uh, well, I actually literally just finished the last, like, eight, the last part of season 10 of Walking of The Walking Dead because okay. I know it's been out for a while, but I kind of saw the beginning and I lost the thread of it and then I wasn't sure whether I'd seen it or not. And and um, I found it the other night. I was like, I haven't seen these episodes. So uh, over a few nights, I um, binge watched those last sort of must have been twelve episodes because the last six were kind of weird and not part of it. But um, yeah, and I had to do that of nighttime with all the lights out of my house because my, my husband was like, I'm going to go to bed. I'm like, oh, but it's scary because there's zombies. Gosh, turn the lights on now. <laughs> I think I made it to like season four or five of that show and I was yeah. just like okay I'm I'm, I'm lost <laughs> and I think that's the thing I know lots of people kind of given up on it but and like I am like not any I, I was like I can't even believe that I'm into it at all because I'm not I like zombies are like ugh, no <laughs> but I love I just love the continuing moral premise of the thing which is you know who when the world goes to shit and there's no laws and there's no anything, there's no morals, there's no boundaries, who do you become? I think that's yeah. like the, the kind of premise of the whole series and I love, I, that's what kind of always keeps me hooked, I think. it's. Mm-hmm. I think I find that really quite fascinating. Um, so I feel like apparently there's another season coming out and it's going to be the last, so I'll for sure we'll be watching that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one movie I will never stop watching is? Notting Hill. Absolutely, 100%. Notting Hill. Best, best, best grovel scene in the history of grovel scenes in movies. That end scene where he grovels in front of everybody on TV. I can watch that. I've watched that 50 times and I still get all choked up and, like, you know, that swelling in your chest when you just go, oh, it's all going to happen. I love it so much. Um, My teenage celebrity crush was? Oh, oh, damn, I didn't think about that. Teenage Celebrity Crush, oh, probably, um, it's probably going to really date me and make me sound really daggy and old, but I had a huge crush on Magnum. You know, Tom Selleck, when he played Magnum back, you're probably all looking very blank because you're way too young for <laughs> no, that. But, um. No, 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 no. My mom used to watch it, and I've always said my father used to, my father looked like Tom Selleck back in the day with the mustache and everything. <laughs> the mustache, yeah. And then he had that whole resurgence, you know, on um, Friends, which was lovely. So, right? um, yes, I and did have bloods. And yes, I have watched a bit of Blue Bloods as well. I'm mm-hmm. a huge. I love television. I'm such a huge television fan. But um, mm-hmm. I did have a massive crush on Tom Selleck. I have to admit. <laughs> That's a, I love it. <laughs> um, my most comfortable attire is 
pajamas. Yay. <laughs> I know we talked a bit yeah. about this before we came online. Yeah, I have my I have my night pajamas and I have my day pajamas. Um, so I get out of my night pajamas into my day pajamas and I come down to my computer and I start fighting for the day. So yes, literally, we'll take a shower to put on clean pajamas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Pa- uh, pandemic life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, the first song on the soundtrack to my life is um, has to be Paperback Writer. Oh, nice! The Beatles it. has to be. Yep, yep. All right, rapid fire. Rapid what is fire. one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Okay, that Die Hard is a romance movie. I thought you were going to say a Christmas movie. <laughs> Got all excited. And a Christmas. It's definitely a Christmas movie, but it's definitely a romance. You can keep all your, it's, oh, it's not. It's like, you know, it's a blowy up kind of everything. Everybody dies. So it is a romance. He did that for her. It is a oh, romance. I never thought of it that way before. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. That's my hill. That's what I'm going to die on. <laughs> 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? <laughs> How about she did it in pajamas? She did it in pajamas. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Set the scene for us. You sit down to write. What time of day is it? Where is your best spot for productivity? And what's one thing you need within arm's reach? Uh, so, well, clearly we've already established that I'm in my, in my pajamas, my day pajamas. Yep. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm probably always at my computer by like nine o'clock in the morning. I'm usually doing social media and all that kind of stuff first. I try every now and then I try to think this is ridiculous. Don't do that. Just start writing because sometimes I can find myself down some rabbit hole on the internet for hours on end. Um, but I just learned that's my process. That's kind of what I, you know, by the time I start writing, I've probably already written, you know, a few hundred words on emails and social media posts yeah. and all that kind of thing. So it's all just part of warming up, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I always have at reach? I always have um, my um, post-it notes, always. I have post-it notes everywhere. I love post-it notes. I buy them obsessively. Same, same. <laughs> I, I cannot live without them. My computer screen at the moment has got, like, all these post-it notes all the way around it. <laughs> yeah. so, they are um, my office supply drug of choice, okay? Yeah. Do I need <laughs> all the ones that I have? Nope. But you can't pass by cute ones. <laughs> That's so pretty, some of them as well. Like, you know, I just – and I use them. That's the thing. Like, and there's nothing more satisfying than having a post-it note with a whole list on it. Be able to cross everything up on that list and then throw the person yes. note again. That is just like, oh, that is just <laughs> sets my heart a flutter. <laughs> what is the last book that you read? Oh, I last read, um, oh, now I thought I had written this down so I would remember it. Um, or just one of just a favorite book from this year that you can think of off the top of your head. I I read this one for the um, Vivian competition okay. um, that I absolutely love, but I can't really say what that is yet because it, uh, it did a, final, yeah. and I'm not gonna. <laughs> but when it wins, and I hope it will, I will be shouting it from the from the rooftops. Um, oh, I'm so annoyed because. Um, Oh, I know. It was um, the uh, the cowboy 
Crashes a Wedding. That was it by um, Anne McAllister, which is a, obviously a cowboy book. Um, I love Anne McAllister's cowboy books. Have you read any of hers? Oh, my mm-hmm. God. She writes, they're all now, um, a lot of them were out with Harlequin like many years ago and she's redone them all and they're in Thule. Thule published them all now. Oh. And I will just, uh, I love her writing. I love her cowboys. I love, you should get her on. She's such a <laughs> lovely lady and she's just, Cal- oh, great. We're Fantastic. on it. <laughs> um, if Anne McAllister's in your knitting circle, <laughs> <laughs> who is one of your most read authors? Um, who is one of my most read authors? Um, probably, I suppose, um, Sarah Mabry and Kelly Hunter and um, – a lot of great Australian authors. I read a lot of Ainsley Patton. She's she's an amazing Australian author. She writes mixed between category and single title. Um, I read a lot of uh, Claire Conley. Um, mm-hmm. I read all of Jennifer Caruso's. I read all of Susan Elizabeth Phillips. I read. I love used to love Rachel Gibson. Oh my, I do love Rachel Gibson. Um, who I love, um, Naima Simone. And oh my mm-hmm. god, I love Naima Simone. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of um, uh, Samantha Samantha Beck is it? I think who does the hockey romances? Yeah, I could. You can't ask. I just can't do one. I just <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> All right, now and then, knowing what you know now, if you could time travel back to when you first began your writing career, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself two things. I would say be more productive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I had actually been more focused and productive on like, you know, writing and getting published instead of, you know, having a job and raising children, you know, trifling things like that, I might have been published. I might have been published a little bit quicker, I think, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't really write that many manuscripts compared to some people. You know, I feel like that might have happened for me mm-hmm. a bit sooner. But, you know, it didn't happen that way and such is life. And that was my obviously what was meant to be was meant to be. And also I would say think harder about your pseudonym because <laughs> you're going to be stuck with it forever. <laughs> Love it. And I didn't put a lot of I um I my real name is Allison and when I got um the first phone call that I had with Harlequin about my um when they rang to say we're going to buy your book was we want you to take a pseudonym because they had another Allison Allison Roberts writing for the medical line and they didn't want to. Oh, you know, okay. sort of have that sort of confusion for readers. And they asked me to choose a pseudonym and, like, seriously, like I would have given them my firstborn at that stage. So asking me to take a different name is like, you know, nothing. I'll be like, yep, and here's my firstborn as well. You can, like, absolutely I will change my name. Um, and I actually wanted to – I started wanting to keep my initials, AA, and I actually sent off um, – I wanted to be Ainsley and because it had sort of family significance for me. Mm-hmm. And they said no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but you don't understand. It's got family significance, you know. And they're like, Ainsley is a boy's name in the UK and nobody will buy your book with a boy's name on it. Oh, and I was my like, gosh. Oh, okay, gosh. then. All right. <laughs> so then I, they said, why don't you just send us over a bunch of A Christian names and surnames and we'll choose for you. And I was like, okay, sure. And so that's how Amy Andrews came about. Um, and, you know, it's my name and this is what it is. But I think if I had my time over again, I'd be a little bit more um protective of that sort of process yeah. for myself yeah that, is, yeah. Interesting. that mm. is yeah I mean I think anything 
for anyone that's listening, that's a, like an aspiring writer, you're like you said, you're just like, oh my gosh, you're yes, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, you know, but yes. think about it like 10 or 15 or 20 books down the line. And you're like, yeah. I don't really, I should have maybe stuck to my guns and like <laughs> fought a little bit harder for this. But now like, that's what you're known for, you know, yeah. like those decisions you make in the beginning are so important. And I don't, I don't, I don't mind the name. It's not, you know, it's not like I hate it, but I probably if I had my time over again, I would have chosen something different. So um, yeah, if I'd known then what I know now, you know, <laughs> is that all I had? To, was, that, was that the question? Yes. That was it. Mm-hmm. You did great. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so lastly, can you share anything with us about what's coming up next? Do you have any, anything coming out for the yes. rest of this year? Yes, I've had a bit of a year where I've had a couple of books that were supposed to come out that haven't come out. So I actually haven't had anything new come out for a year. But I do have, um, uh, you know, I've been writing this um, category romance um, rugby series for Entangled. Okay. Um, and it's at book eight or something now. And book nine, which is called Playing It Safe, is mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's supposed. I don't know. It was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago. It hasn't. I'm not sure when it comes. I think it'll be August, but I'll certainly, you know, be shouting it out from the rooftops when I know the actual date. It's called Playing It Safe, and it's actually my first ever male male. So that's kind of exciting oh, yeah. for me. Yes, yes. Eighty odd books. Awesome. That's my first male male. And then that you had me at chocolate. The one I was talking about with Tully. Yes. Um, it'll be out in October or November. I'm not sure um, of that of that date mm-hmm. yet. Okay. And of course, next year I'll have another medical romance out. Um, Yay! After it's been probably about October or something like that as well. So after oh. probably be four or five year gap by the time it comes out. So yeah, things to look forward to in um in romance land. Yeah, next. How year, does it feel to return back to medical? Like how yeah. does it feel? Um, I, well, I haven't started writing it, so I think it'll be interesting. I I feel um I hope I haven't kind of forgotten how to do it more than anything I'm more anxious than than um thinking oh I haven't got out of the groove you know um but I mean I love writing I love being a Harlequin author so um you know and obviously I can't write for dare anymore and I don't fit in I don't really I don't think I write alpha enough heroes for presents um so um and I never not want to be a Harlequin author and um, the, my editor approached me from medicals and said, would you like to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think it's time to come back. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. I mean, I'm excited, but mm-hmm. I just have to say, have you ever thought of writing for the romance series? <laughs> um, that's, the, that's the sweet line, though, yeah. No. No, no. not necessarily. Okay. Oh, they're okay. they're very much like medical I, I i read a sophie pembroke two sophie pembrokes last month one mm. was completely behind closed doors you had no idea the other one was burning down the house <laughs> so <laughs> you got from the same author two different okay. yeah yeah all right well no i, I just not. yeah the more that i read both of those series kind of back to back i'm like they're so similar and they like are. your books are so fun and like that's like also like another really fun series i'm like I need an Amy Andrews pink. Well, book. I don't have to investigate that. Thank you for that. I hadn't. I kind of always thought they were sort of um, sweet. So, and I, 
I'm not good at turning that stuff down. So <laughs> I like you did have that. a year of saying yes to everything. <laughs> well, but I do like I do like the sexy stuff. I think there's so I think I heard was it was it some Sophie Pembroke who said this or who who did you have on just recently again? Oh, Sorry. Lucy Van Road, yeah, today. Yeah. She was saying how um, that the sexy times you know, loan something to the relationship development and to the character, Correct. you learn more about them. And I think that's true. You get two people naked and very vulnerable mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sort of stuff that you you learn about and you increase the stakes even higher when, as well. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, don't imagine that I'll ever be somebody who, who um, shuts the shuts the door. Shuts the door, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yep. No, <laughs> Thank you for that hint. I will, I will look into that. I actually yeah. want to write... We actually want to write a um, – I want to write an historical romance, and this is, like, crazy because, you know, what do I know about writing historical romance? There's nothing, that, you know. But I wrote a kiss book called The Devil and the Deep, mm-hmm. and in The Devil and the Deep, the heroine is a historical romance author, and she's written this number one mega huge bestseller pirate romance that, um, you know, has got a movie deal and, you know, did, did so well, and she's really she's – really, um, for a second book because her first book's done so well but her the book that she wrote she actually the the pirate character in the book she based on her childhood best friend growing up this you know this boy she was really close with um and so he's kind of the pirate pirate in her head but as part of the front story of um the devil in the deep that's actually um there's actually four or five passages from the actual um, historical romance novel throughout The yeah. Devil in the Deep because the hero discovers it and realizes it's him and he tries to enact some of the scenes from from the um romance the romance novel that she'd written into into their sort of current story. So ever since I've written those like five little snippets from this completely, you know, made up book because it's not real. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've kind of wanted to write that story. I wanted to write the pirate story. I'm I saying love it. I so, need it. First of all, I need to download that kiss book as soon as we get off of here. Right? <laughs> so yes, you will, yeah, you'll read the historical elements through that and then you'll realize why I want to write, I actually want to write that book because yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not generally an historical reader and I'm not an historical writer at all, but I would really like to write that pirate story. Well, <laughs> I know nothing about it? pirates or anything, like it would be yeah. ridiculous, but yeah. I, <laughs> I would like to do that. We are rooting for you. We are hoping that it happens. Where can everyone follow you online? Oh, okay. So I am on um, Facebook and t- I am on Twitter. I don't really go much to Twitter, but Facebook and um, Instagram mostly um, under Amy Andrews Books. Uh, most of my social media handles are the same. My webpage is www.amyandrews.com. Is it .com or .au? I think it's .com.au, um, uh, where I usually keep up to date with, you know, most of my uh, books, you know, or anything coming out is there. You can join my newsletter through, um, both through my website and through my Facebook page. Um, mostly I post, um, most days I'm on my Facebook page and I love to talk to people there and, um, you know, um, have little discussions. So I'm on social media pretty much everywhere. So find me. I like to talk yeah. to people who love to read <laughs> yes. romance novels. Yay. Well, all of her information listeners will be in the show notes. Check it mm-hmm. out. Follow her. Keep up with her. Thank you so much. 
so, oh, so much for, for sharing your time with us joy. and chatting romance and Anytime. just all the things. And I mean, I hope this is just your first time on the podcast. Please yeah, come back. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will come back. I've written that pirate romance. I'll come back. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And if you ever want to know any like secret sort of Australian stuff that you know, you can always just um, slip me a DM, and I might you know see if I can answer it for you. If if not online, you know, that's fine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we feel like that's another continent that they're not going to let us in. Yeah. <laughs> Here, Sarah and Bree, they'll let them in. They're ready yeah. to like. They're ready to do some sleuthing and figure out all of our secrets. <laughs> 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 well have a lovely day everyone Sarah and I will talk to you in our next episode <laughs>